Welcome to the Law School Admissions Simplified Podcast, where I talk about all things LSAT, law school admissions, and life-related. I'm Ben Parker, and I do LSAT prep and law school admissions full-time. If you like what we do here, you can find me on Instagram, where I post about the admissions process and the LSAT at LSA Simplified, or on my website, lsasimplified.com. I've also written an introductory LSAT book that you can find on Amazon, and that's called LSA Simplified's LSAT Primer. I host free LSAT sessions once a month, as well as paid monthly courses, tutoring, and on-demand options. Alrighty, so today we've got a few things. Um, we have a personal statement, or a diversity statement. I haven't looked at it yet, so we'll be getting my authentic reactions to that and kind of what I would do. Um, there's also a talk we're going to talk about with regards to kind of some of the other admissions podcasts. I've been listening a lot to the Miriam and Christy one, and it's interesting because they have some good takes, but I think they also have a lot of blind spots, and I just want to go into uh, depth on that. Um, we'll also talk about whether or not you should apply before you have your LSAT score, and we'll take a quick visit to a few LSAT-related questions on Reddit. Okay, so the first thing we're going to talk about is kind of the Miriam and Christy podcast, which it's interesting because everything they say, I believe, is largely true and good, but they seem to miss a lot about the process as well. Um, they seem to always talk as if everyone has a chance at Harvard and Yale, which is just fundamentally not true. Like, unless you have certain numbers, and they talk about how it's holistic and how it really comes down to your essays and resumes. And basically, all they talk about is essays, resumes, addendums, which, yeah, are important. But if you look at the, like, reports at Yale and Harvard, they're only accepting people with a very narrow range of numbers. So I think they really do a disservice by not talking about that and how, yes, like, obviously, I'm not going to say that essays don't matter and resumes don't matter. But they almost pretend as if the numbers aren't that much of an aspect of it when it's clearly a necessary condition to get in. Like, yeah, it's not sufficient. Simply having a high LSAT score or having a high GPA will not get you into Harvard or Yale. But the idea that you can apply with really any number and they're really going to consider you is just not true. I, I don't know their process, but I have to think if they're getting a 155 3.0, they're not spending hardly any time on it. I'd be surprised if they even read it. Uh, I think there is a filter that these applications have to get through. And that's an issue I take with them. Um, they also really, I think, kind of talk people, which is good. Positivity overall as a idea is, you know, positive. I'm not going to argue against that. But they seem to leave this impression that if you just craft your narrative in the right way, you can get in, which um, I don't think is true because there are they are looking for a certain kind of person. And if everyone could get in, then their job would be like stupid. It, it wouldn't, there wouldn't even be a purpose for it. If everyone could get in, what are you even selecting for? Why even have an admissions process? The admissions process by like definition is selective. They are selecting against people. They are selecting for people. And yeah, sure. There are people that could have gotten in that don't get in because they portray themselves poorly or whatnot. But at the end of the day, they are trying to find people who will be good law students and who will, you know, succeed at their school. So being authentically yourself will not always help. Sometimes who you are is not who they want. And yeah, so I think they have a pretty, uh, and it's not that anything they say is untrue. I should have pulled specific examples of where they um, say things that I think kind of leave things out. It's, I mean, I'm not going to say lying because that's too strong. And I was thinking the phrase lying by omission, but even that's too strong. I'm not going to say they're doing that, but it really is, I think, such an overemphasis on the uh, essays, admissions process, all that stuff. And I think ultimately it comes down to a few things, which is one, they're not on your side. They're on the side of crafting the best 
like applicant pool that they can get, which yes, obviously um, that can align with you. It's not that it's mutually exclusive, like their goals can align with you, but they also don't always align with you. Sometimes they want you to authentically spill the beans on who you are so that they can reject you because you, you know, let up who you really are and it's not who they're looking for. Um, so that's one thing that's out there. And then beyond that, like they're looking to craft the best class for Harvard or Yale. You should be wanting to go to the best school for you. I think they're good about not promoting their schools over others. They make a habit of not talking poorly about other schools, which is good as a general practice. It's nice to see that they're doing that. However, what they uh, don't really do is really talk about like how, um, yeah, I lost my train of thought, but you have a lot of power in this admissions process. You don't have to go to Harvard. You don't have to go to Yale. And they seem to talk as if everyone has a chance there. And that, that's really my issue is that not everyone has a chance at Harvard and Yale. Very few applicants have a chance at Harvard and Yale because you need these numbers. You need to get in the door first. And they really do, in my opinion, make it come off as like, yeah, you can have numbers deficiencies if you overcome it with um, your story, which, yeah, it, sure, on the margins, maybe that can happen. But the idea of, I mean, let me just look up how many people got admitted to Yale last year. Um, just again, okay, so this is the 2022 509 report, so it's a little outdated, but they had 236 people they admitted. Out of those, how many of them were like way below the numbers? Maybe five? Like, let's be real here. They're not stretching a ton. Because also what happens when they do admit someone well below the numbers? They go to Yale. Like someone who was not expecting to go to Yale that gets in likely goes out. In fact, 71% of people attend Yale that get admitted. So most of them that get accepted get admitted. And Yale knows that. They know that they're at the top of the mountain. No one else is with them, uh, despite what the other schools say. So yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things where I think it's largely a good resource. What they say in terms of writing, in terms of showing and not telling, keeping things brief, not oversharing, all of that's very good. So listening to them for writing advice, I cannot recommend more. As far as kind of the negotiation and power standpoint, where they, I, I don't know, they seem to hold law schools like this high volute, very powerful thing. And like it can be, and their schools are good schools. They're some of the best schools in the country, obviously. But just be aware that like these essays, they're, they're good and all, and you should do your effort because they do get read. And it's not that they're unimportant, but you have to get in the door first. So make sure you're hitting your metrics of LSAT and GPA. Don't be delusional. And I find that people end up being delusional having listened to these podcasts because they think that, yes, my numbers are well below medians or even the 25th percentiles, but they say it's a holistic review and my resume is so good. And I have um, a really good reason why I have a low GPA, which is funny because they even say that that is something not to talk about. Um, or they talk about their personal same. And like, yeah, it's fine. But you really think, you know, like it does come down to the numbers primarily. And the holistic review is after that. And I think why they have kind of such a blind spot is because they're at Harvard and Yale. They have an abundance of qualified people, which is not true at most law schools. Most law schools do not have an abundance of people with the numbers they're looking for. So at Harvard and Yale, um, the holistic review is true. What they have, what they don't say is that the numbers matter too, which they absolutely do. The numbers matter a ton and they really downplay that in my opinion. And then on top of that, um, this really falls off once you get further down the rankings, because like at the average law school at Oklahoma State University, they don't have an abundance of people with 170, 3.8 pluses. That's not a thing. And because of that, if you have the numbers, they're not going to reject you because you missed a comma or because you didn't resound with your admissions person that was reading your essay. So like, yes, is it a luxury that helps? Sure. But um, it is important to recognize that their actions say a lot more than their words do. And their actions are that they care about numbers. So 
they can happy talk it and talk about how it's a holistic process. I don't believe them. And until they start acting as if it's a holistic process, I'm not going to believe them. So yeah, cool, cool. Uh, okay, next off, we have a legit or bullshit section. Uh, this is the section of the podcast where I take a random piece of advice out there on the internet and I talk about it and whether or not it's good or bad. And this one is about applying before you have your LSAT. It's a very topical time of year for this. It's January as I record this. And this time of year, people tend to be um, kind of late. It's kind of crunch time where folks that want to go next year, they're running out of time. I personally think it's too late already by quite a bit, but you know, um, folks are still going to apply. And because of that, they want to apply now and then take the LSAT after. And some law schools will say, okay, yeah, you can apply now and we'll wait until you know, you take your LSAT before we evaluate your application file. But that doesn't make any sense to me because they're not evaluating you early. So what advantage are you getting by applying early? The whole advantage you typically get by applying early is that by applying early, you get into the admissions process before other people have. Hence, there's more seats to give out. There's more scholarship money to give out, all that good stuff. And applying early gives you an advantage because they don't know, you know, how tight they're going to have to be. By March, April, they've given a lot out, so they're a lot more selective with who they give those spots and money to. But earlier in the cycle, it's possible that they're a little bit more um, liberal with how they dole out their money. And so, yeah, applying before you have your LSAT, is it going to hurt you? Like, probably not, because they probably will wait for you to have your LSAT. Anecdotally, there are stories of people applying before they have their LSAT score that's come in, and they've gotten rejected, even though the school is supposed to be waiting on their LSAT systems aren't perfect. Sometimes things fall through the crack. So it is possible if you have an LSAT score on record and you're registered, they might not wait for your new score. They might just reject you. So be careful with that. And then more importantly, it doesn't give you any advantage because any advantage you would have gotten by applying early is negated by the fact that they can't evaluate you. They won't evaluate your application until the day you got your LSAT score back, which is the day you would have applied anyways. So applying before you have your LSAT is not a good idea. It doesn't do anything for you. Um, and there is really no exception to that. You just should not do it. The only exception is say, if you're like a 160 and you're applying to a school where the median is like 150 and you're taking it to get an even higher score for other schools. But if you're trying to get a higher score for the school you're applying to, don't think about it. Like that's just not a good idea. Okay, next up is law school lingo. And the word we have today is cycle. Cycle refers to um, a current year of law school admissions. It doesn't quite line up with the uh, calendar year. It's January 1st right now. Uh, at least when I'm recording this, it won't be when this is released. But, you know, we're starting our new year of 2024. Um, the law school year turns over in August. So the new year of admissions starts when the admits from the prior year are matriculating and enrolling in classes and the applications open up for the next year. So it's kind of a year-round process nowadays, which is wild. But... Basically, the cycle opens up in August. So like currently, the current cycle opened up in August. That's when you could start applying for some schools. Most schools don't open until September, but you could apply then. And it will end when everyone this year that did apply has either not attended a law school or they are attending a law school coming next fall. Um, so that's what cycle means. So for example, this is like the 2023, 2024 cycle. I typically just call it the 2024 cycle because it's the time of the year that most of the cycle happens in as well as the year in which the people matriculate and start school. So yeah, that's what cycles are. You probably hear it a lot. And, you know, I don't think we always do a good job of defining our terms in the admission space. You almost just expect people to know them, which like, yeah, some people do, but you know, it's good for folks to get it. Okay, well, we are going to do our 
Reddit questions because they're LSAT related. And then we will do a statement. So the first question is someone who says, planning to apply to law school in the fall. Is it a bad idea to take the LSAT in August? And I would say, as my gut reaction, yes and no. It's not a bad plan because applying with an August score, you get to apply early. So you get that bump from early applications that we were talking about. The downside to only taking August is you get one crack at the LSAT. And any given day on the LSAT, you can experience positive or negative variance. Think about it this way. If you flip a coin 100 times, you're going to expect to get 50 heads and 50 tails. But sometimes you're going to get 55 heads. And sometimes you're going to get 45 heads. And the LSAT is kind of the same way. Whereas some days you're going to get more questions right, not because of your skill or how well-rested you are or how focused you are, but just due to sheer randomness. Um, you might just run into questions that happen to be harder for you. Your 50-50 guesses might go the wrong way. And all of that can lead to kind of going down or up depending on the day. And that's a bummer because let's say you score five points below average. That also means you're capable of five points above average, which means if you're truly a 155, you take the August all set and you score 150, you could have been capable of a 160 had you just taken it on a day where you hit that upside of your randomness. So because of that, I tend to recommend taking the LSAT multiple, multiple times so that you have a chance to hit that upper end of your score because the difference between a 150 and a 160 in admissions is life-changing. It's like being rejected at schools and now getting full rides at them. So you really want to experience that upside to whatever your score is. And that applies no matter where you're at. Even if you're like, let's say a 173 true average, that means you're capable of as low as a 168 and as capable of as high as a 178 which is so different. 168, you're getting like automatically rejected. I'm mostly T14s. 178, you're basically a slam dunk admit um, with the proper GPA. And as long as you're not a psycho in like your statements, which don't get me wrong, that does happen. When you see on Reddit, people that have gotten rejected that are well above medians, it's because they fucked up in their admissions statements. And no one ever thinks they fucked up because everyone thinks they have a good admission statements. As someone who reads a lot of them, I can promise you, it's like the biggest example of Dunning-Kruger which is the idea that um, people tend to overestimate their competence in something. It's like driving. If you ask someone like, hey, um, are you a good driver? Literally everyone says yes. I say yes too. I have traffic tickets. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm part of that delusion. But the point is, is that people tend to overestimate their ability. And that is very true in admissions essays. So when you do see a psycho, or not a psycho, but an applicant who got rejected at schools where their numbers say they should have been an obvious admit, that's probably why or they were really rude in communication with the admissions office, um, something, there's a red flag, there could have been a character and fitness issue. But it's never that they have a perfect application, perfect numbers, and then they just get denied. Like, yes, admissions is a complicated process, and there are various things going on behind the scenes, but they're not that complicated. Um, not to the point where, like, one person just gets randomly denied for no good reason. They have their reasons. The reasons are complicated, and they can get personal and all that stuff, but they're not always... It's not just like, I don't like Tony. Tony has a dumb name. I'm going to reject Tony. I don't know. Maybe in a very, very extreme circumstance, Georgetown would reject a 175 4.0 Tony because the admissions lady, like ex-husband is named Tony, but I really doubt it. I, I think Tony's probably a slam dunk. And if he gets denied, it's probably more because like he had some real character and fitness issues or he like was writing about stuff in his essays that were really bad. Because you'd be amazed what people write. People write about really bad things. Uh, to go back to the Miriam and Christy things, I, I don't want to harp on them too much because they just have blind spots. So if they are listening, which I doubt they are, because I'm pretty small, but if they are, uh, you guys do good stuff and I really appreciate what you do. I just think that you guys have real blind spots in terms of uh, conveying how much the numbers are relevant 
it from listening to your podcast and almost feels as if the numbers aren't relevant, which we both know is not the case. So yeah, I would just try to do better about that. But the point is, is that if Tony applies, it's not due to Tony's numbers. Tony fucked up somewhere in his application. He may have gone on in an addenda. He may have blamed something on someone else and left that sour taste. Not taking accountability for things can come off really poorly, especially if you're putting it off on someone else. The person reading your admissions file has no reason to listen to you. They're, yeah, they, they, they don't know you. So like, if you're telling them, like, trust me, it's this guy's fault, why, why would they believe you? They might, but they also might say, Tony, we don't know you. You might be full of shit. Like, I, I, like do I have to take your word for it? Kind of, and they might, but that's why I like to never leave room for them to take your word for it and just give them facts. So they, they can't deny facts. Oh yeah, the facts of whether or not you should be taking it in August. I kind of got on a tangent there. Um, so yeah, this person's planning to apply law school in the fall, planning to take the LSAT in August. Let's see what else they say. I haven't started studying properly yet, but I got a 155 on my diagnostic test with minus 11 on logic games and minus eight on reading comp and R. So that's a very high diagnostic. If they just fix logic games, they're going to be in a great spot and they probably should take it with logic games and just fix it. Cause with only minus eight on reading comp and LR, they're going to quickly improve there. And minus 11 on games is actually really high. I think I was like minus 16 and I figured out games so fast. So this person is likely to be like a true, they can get to 170s by like June. I don't see why not. They continue. I had no idea how to approach LG and feel like I could have gotten a higher score if I didn't have to take it. Right, because you don't you didn't know how to do it yet. But once you do know how to do it, which won't be hard for you, for this person, you're going to crush it. So you should take it with games. I'd like to take the exam once they get removed in August so I can save time on studying. Um, yeah, you're studying for reading comp and LR are going to take you longer than you're studying for games. Even though you have fewer questions to pick up, the understanding is going to be harder on those ones. So, I mean, this person is going to do fine either way. They're going to get a high score with reading comp or LR, assuming they study properly. But I think it'd be easier with logic camps. Uh, so they continue. I'm reaching for 175, though I could live with 170 because I want to apply for T14s if possible. Yeah, and I think that's totally reasonable given where you're starting. I think you should aim for the stars. If I do consistently well on practicing camps before then, is it reasonable to just take it in August? Or should I study for LG and take the LSAT before then just in case? Yeah, I mean, I won't read all the questions because they phrase it several different times. But basically, I would say, yeah, take it with logic games. Um, I mean, obviously, you want to study and see if you can get there. But I suspect that this person will get to logic games within a month or two. And once they do that, if they can perfect L RC and LR, getting that 175 will be much easier than if they try to do it in August. Because getting a 175 is so much easier with logic games than it is with the other sections. The other sections are not as perfect as um, the others. So I would really try to get that done. Um, I will... It's, I, I'm going to start DMing people and let them know that like I addressed their question on the podcast. But yeah, um, hopefully that helped. If I were you for this person, I would really plan on taking it in August. Or so sorry, not in August. I'd plan on taking it before then. And then yeah, take August as a backup if you need it. But if you could take April and June, I think you'll be ready by then. Logic Camps is really easy once you learn it. So I would do that. Alrighty, the next question is from Mountain Eagle 8157 Not that I've read them before, but you know. And they say, should I take the LSAT in June before they change it to two LR and one RC? I hate LR, so I'm thinking maybe I should see how I do before they change it in lines. I'm like, what do you mean see how you do? You have a practice test. Take a practice test. The practice test will tell you how you do. You don't need to take the official test to know how you're going to do. They've released 10,000 LSAT questions. It's not a surprise what you get on the real test if you've done your work. So you need to take a practice test, know where you are. In this post, they have no mention of how they're scoring. And that's really the only relevant factor here. They said, I guess it couldn't hurt, but the tests are $222. Not the free ones. It, like, what are we doing? Registering for an actual LSAT. 
when we don't know what our practice test scores are. I don't know if they've just left out this information, but they really should take their um, practice test and let that guide whether or not they take August or June. The information is all available. You can take the test in its current format and you can take it in the format that it will be come August just by removing games and adding LR. This is not a mystery. You can know how you're gonna score. So take those practice tests and then based upon that, make your decision. Um, so it says, I, it makes me wonder if I should just wait until after August and study LR harder instead of studying three different exams. Side note, I have plenty of time taking exam multiple times before applying to law school. Yeah, so it's good they have lots of time. Um, I mean, maybe, I think it depends on where you're at with LR. If you're like minus five, then yeah, you could probably take it without LR. If you're like minus 15, you're never gonna get LR to where it's perfection in all likelihood, which means that you should probably take it with games because you can learn games. Anyone can learn games. So if I were this person, it really depends on where their numbers are at. They don't have their numbers listed here, but that's what I would base my score on. So yeah, cool, cool. Mountain Eagle, hopefully that helps. And here we have uh, both event 6530 who says outside improvement. Hello, I'm studying for the LSAT I have in two weeks and I'm looking to improve my score by eight points or eight plus, which my initial reaction is why eight points? Like, why is it such a low threshold? People regularly go up 20 to 30 points. Why are we talking about going up eight? Well, yeah, eight points is a good start, but that shouldn't be a finishing point. I'm using Khan Academy free practice exams. I have just begun blind reviewing as well, which I'll go into blind review deeply on another episode. In fact, let me write that down so I don't forget about it. Um, blind review is an interesting concept. I don't like the general way it's done, but there is a way to do it well. So we will talk about that further. And it, say I'm making between 155, 150, 155 on the exams outright. I made 152 on the actual LSAT as well. Okay. When I blind review, I'm getting 168 plus. Right. And that's what I'm going to talk about is why blind review is so misleading. Um, is there any way for me to break into a wrong culture in my blind review in such a short time? No, no, there's not. You can't go up 13 points in two weeks in all likelihood. Or of course, can there be exceptions with people that do get that done in two weeks? Yeah. So when I say that, that's a general statement, but no, you're not going to. It's because blind review is incredibly misleading. Um, the issue, well, we're not going to do blind review here. It's, I have a lot to say on blind review, but basically what it is, it's very misleading. People tend to think they understand a lot more in blind review than they really do. And the reason for that is because often they're getting rid of the most tempting wrong answer. Um, it depends on how you do it. If you're doing it and you don't know the answer, you just are looking back at a question before you grade yourself, blind review is very worthwhile. If you're doing it and you already know what question you got wrong, which some software programs do for you, then you've just gotten rid of the most tempting wrong answer, which makes them super easy. At which point, if you're not scoring 170 plus, you have a problem. People can legitimately go from a 140 to a 170 doing blind review that way because it makes it so much easier. So it depends on how you're doing blind review. First off, if you're doing it the way where you're, uh, where you don't know your answers and you really are just looking back and evaluating them, uh, yeah, you could improve a lot, but your issue there is that you're rushing too fast the first time because you're picking a lot of questions that you're really, like you have it in you to understand them if you're truly scoring 168. But if you're scoring 150, that means you're flying right by them and picking the wrong answers. So I would slow down. Also, stop taking the LSAT before you're ready. Why do you have a 152 on record? That's a mistake. You should not have done that. 152s do not belong on record when you're capable of higher. So that was huge. Uh, don't do that. It's like, if you have a bad score on record, that's fine. That's the past. I wouldn't stress about it, but you all really need to stop taking the LSAT before your practice test scores indicate you're ready for it. Miracles don't happen on the LSAT. You're not going to show up to test day and score 10 points above your average. It just does not work that way. So don't expect it to happen. Don't plan on it happening. It's not going to happen. Okay, cool. Well, that's Reddit. Hopefully you guys got some stuff from that. Um, and yeah, we have a personal statement here from, well, I'm not going to name them. Their initials are RD. So they know who they are as if they'd forget what their statement was, but I'm going to pop that open. It is a personal statement and I have not taken a look at it. 
So let's dive in. Okay, so personal statement. In society, quote, scale of justice means the balance between justice and mercy. However, I believe that justice has been tainted. All right, so we're leading off with saying justice is tainted. We don't know anything about you. We just know what you believe. Generally, I don't know, want to know what you believe. I want to know what you do. If you've led activism to change the law, talk about that. However, just having opinions on stuff doesn't really qualify you to be a lawyer. So, okay, so far, not great. Um, in order for society to have trust in a justice system, that system would have to protect and ensure that justice is distributed fairly among the people. All right, so I assume you're making an argument that the justice system is not that. However, um, I would not talk about that because, you know, this is about you, not your opinions on the justice system. So you got to be really careful. Growing up, I've always felt like I needed to advocate for myself, even in unnecessary situations while wishing I had someone to advocate for me instead, which like, yeah, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't make you a lawyer. Um, like having this past opinion on, or I mean, not opinion, but history of wanting people to advocate for you. I don't know. Like it's tough, but like, who cares? Um, it's just not relevant to law school admissions. You're trying to convince the law school why they need you as a part of their incoming class. And you haven't done that here. You basically just said that you don't think the justice system fairly protects us all, which like, okay, sure. I think you can make an argument for that, but no one cares in the context of what this document is for. Are they say being a victim of um, SA, no one knew because I thought no one would believe me due to the fact that I was only eight years old. Yeah, really tough. That sucks. That's oversharing. That doesn't belong in your personal statement. I mean, it almost feels as if it's pleading for admission through pity. And you don't want to do that. You want, like, I'm sorry that happened to you, but you want to get into admissions, not on the back of that, but on the back of something else. And I understand that people want to add it for context, but you don't need that context. It's oversharing context and it does not belong in a professional document. So I would cut that. Being that young and having that experience, I then made a promise to myself that when I'm old enough that I would make certain to serve an advocate for victims who have had that experience. So show yourself serving and advocating. Don't talk about it. If you've done advocacy and stuff, talk about it. Don't like talk about what you plan to do. What you plan to do, anyone can say. I plan to be president. I plan to be on the Supreme Court. Literally anyone can say that. I plan to start a nonprofit. Like, and to, for what it's worth, none of this is true. But the point is, is that anyone can say what they plan to do. So it's very not powerful. Okay, continuing. As many individuals would like to deny, this happens way too often to young girls, but they are often afraid to speak due to the fear of receiving injustice, and I would like to be part of the percentage that victims trust to advocate for them. Yeah, show yourself doing that. Don't talk about it. Um, I mean, do talk about it in a way of showing yourself helping people. That can be appropriate if you go there, but so far, I've basically cut that whole first paragraph. All right, let's see what else we got here. See if there's anything else that we can use. To be born and raised in a country that has little or no care about justice and injustice is disheartening, which is impact my interest in pursuing a career in law. And she's not referring to the US here, she's referring to Jamaica. Jamaica is where I have called home for 19 years, a beautiful island that will always hold a space in my heart. However, I'm saddened that crime, violence, and injustice has taken away the spotlight from the beauty of the country. And yeah, all that's fine, but like we still learned really nothing about you other than you come from Jamaica. But coming from Jamaica does not qualify you to be a law student. We need you to be a kick-ass person. And I don't know that you're a kick-ass person though. I, like I feel bad for you, but you haven't given us reason to admit you so far. All right, continuing. Growing up and watching the news while seeing many individuals become victims of senseless crimes, violence, and injustice, including a close relative, semicolon, I would often feel this sense of dis disappointment because I am unable to help, which like, yeah, sucks. You couldn't help because you were a kid in Jamaica. Like, I feel for you. This feels more diversity statement-ish if you're going to include it. Um, but so far, we, I don't know why to admit you to law school. I just know you're from Jamaica and you've gone through some tough experiences, which like, I, I really do feel sorry for you. Like, that's horrible. I, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but it's not a reason to admit you to law school. Okay, and being a victim as well, I understand what other victims feel when justice is not in the favor of them. Kind of weird phrase. But once again, harping on how people need help, but like we've already established that. Let's get into how we've actually helped. 
not continuing to say people need advocates because we've established that. Because I had no faith in the system to advocate for me. I told myself when opportunity presents itself for me to advocate for his victims, I would ensure that justice is in point. That feels like an entirely rephrase of the first paragraph. Just now, like the last sentence there is like basically identical to the last sentence of the first paragraph. Once again, basically I would cut that whole thing. Um, so far, nothing is left that we've read through. I would be cutting all of this and start over. And there's only a couple more paragraphs. So let's see if there's anything, any nuggets here. And there always are nuggets. All of you have a good statement in you. Um, and yeah, you can find it. I, I do think that often people go in the wrong direction, which like, I hope, hopefully you guys are seeing why this is not how you get into law school. And don't get me wrong. This is like, for, for what it's worth to the person that wrote this, your writing is not bad. It's for the most part clean. There's very few typos, which is all good. That, that's a point in your favor. I would change the content rather substantially though. Um, but let's finish this up. In 2015, I migrated to the US on a scholarship to embark on my journey to pursue my bachelor's degree while being a student athlete. Okay, interesting. Uh, I guess that could be a statement. I don't love immigration as a statement, but I don't know, it could be. So far, it's well, the best we have. After living in the US for some time, I recognize that the justice system has some flaws. Yeah, we want to cite specific examples. You don't want to be broad here. If you're going to criticize the justice system to which you want to be a part of, I would not leave room for interpretation about whether or not you're just complaining about the whole system. Um, I would get specific here. I mean, you don't want to get, but it does get tricky getting specific though, because if you get specific, maybe the person who's reading your file disagrees with you. And so that can, it's a high risk, high reward strategy. If it resonates with someone, yeah, it can work. I don't think it will resonate with people. Generally, I think complaining about the justice system does not belong in your law school applications. Um, you can have precise, I don't, I don't want to say complaints, but maybe um, gripes with the system, but just abroad has flaws. I, I would, I don't know. It can only be interpreted negatively, in my opinion. Whereby, in my perspective, individuals who commit a crime do not get the punishment or sanction they deserved. Okay, interesting, because I think in our system, some people get overly punished, some people get underly punished. So just saying that we don't punish people enough is um, broad. And we should probably um, rephrase that or get more specific. As well as the victims does not get the justice they are entitled to. I don't think that's a sentence. Yeah, as well as the victim does not get the justice they are entitled to. The first part of that fills off, as well as the victim does not. Yeah, I would rephrase that as well. This is very frustrating to me because the victims felt like the justice system had failed them to an extent. We want to talk specifics. Just talking about how victims feel failed isn't good enough. I, I don't disagree with your sentiment necessarily. Um, I don't love that this almost feels like it's leaning towards retribution, which I, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of like retributive justice. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm not some like crazy Soros DA. Uh, we're not going to punish crime person. But but I, I don't know. Punishing crime and like wanting to like punish them doesn't seem to be the most enlightened way to think about it. It's not very forgiving and like understanding of people. And like when you say that people aren't being punished enough, I don't know that that's the direction I would go in. I probably wouldn't be talking about any of that. Um, and I should clarify real quick because I kind of got into the whole, whole um, like my stance on justice. I don't know. I'm very um into kind of the, like if you really ever want to know what I think politically on something, um, you can get a pretty good idea by looking at what Sam Harris thinks. I, I tend to line up with him on most things. I out, I don't outsource a lot of my thinking, but I found that he logics his way to most things. And part of that is the idea of retributive justice just to me inherently doesn't make any sense because I, I don't think people are truly responsible for the actions that they make, which like this gets into like very dicey philosophical stuff where like I don't believe free will is a thing. Um, and hence, like, yeah, we should still punish people insofar as it's a deterrent for crime. And also we should, you know, try to make the like society safer and if people are habitually committing crime we need to remove them from society um 
but also the idea of punishing someone because they committed a crime to me doesn't make sense because like did did they even deserve it um that that gets into more philosophical stuff and I think a lot of this stuff doesn't really belong in your applications because instead of talking about what I like if I were applying I would not write about how I think retributive justice is a bad idea um because no one cares uh what they care about is why what have I done already if I've gotten involved in that and like have really volunteered a lot or done something in relation to that I could write about it but I haven't so it doesn't belong in my personal statement because everyone has opinions your opinions do not qualify you to get in the law school all right and you can also totally disagree with me on that stuff I I try not to share too much of that because like who cares no one cares about my opinions we're here for law school stuff but I don't know uh, sometimes I feel like when you're reading stuff it's worthy to mention all right they continue pursuing a legal education will contribute to that success to be of service and advocate for the people in our society. So once again, we really haven't given any specifics. You just keep saying you're going to. So far, I've learned hardly anything useful about you. With that access, I'll be able to integrate my experience, passion, along with the knowledge of law that I will attain in law school towards becoming an officer of the court. Yeah, I mean, duh, that's what law school does. I wouldn't say that because that's a given. And then they name a school. School of law will not only give me, allow me to gain expertise on how to become a lawyer, but prepare me to use my knowledge of law effectively to help each client. Then they say, I'm stuck right here. Well, good news for you. You get to start over because I think this is a very bad statement in its current format. I, I don't mean to be harsh to the person, but this is not going to help you. And I'm trying to be like, I'm on your side here. I want you to get into the schools and get a good offer. And this is not going to help you. Um, I would look at your resume. I think that's going to have more stuff here. I'm going to try to look this person up real quick um, to see if I can find anything. So if you saw, I viewed your LinkedIn. That's why. Okay. I can't find their LinkedIn. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's tough because like, I don't want to be like overly negative towards this person, but there's just not a lot that you have to work with here. That doesn't mean you don't have a lot to work with. I mean, you immigrated from Jamaica, like you talked about, that can be very powerful. It all comes down to how you spin it. But as of now, I would um probably cut that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I found, I was able to find their LinkedIn and they have some stuff. I'm not going to name what they did because I don't want them to like, you know, be blasted. But you have some good stuff here in terms of your volunteering stuff. You talk about that. Like that you have that that you did for a few months. Um, or just talk about one of the jobs you had. If you got success in them, talk about that. But the personal statement in its current format, I would give the acts to once again, not trying to be harsh. I'm just trying to be on your team. And I don't think this is helping you. Okay, cool, cool. Well, that's all we have for today. If you want to have your statement reviewed, you're welcome to send them in to benatlsnsimplified.com. You can also ask about anything else that are admissions related. I don't advertise the podcast. So if you can leave a rating or review, that really helps the algorithm on all the various platforms, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube. Also, if you don't want to take the time to write that, just like the show, like give it a five star. It really does help. And I don't advertise the podcast. So if you can tell a friend, tell your pre-law society, all that stuff, I really do appreciate it. And yeah, I will see you all next time.